So thanks for being here tonight. I want to welcome everybody and all those listening on our podcast channel. Tonight, we're going to be uh, continuing studying the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open up to Romans chapter 3. And we're actually going to start at verse 21. And if you use your iPad or iPhone, that is fine too. That's no problem. So let's jump right in. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Let's see what Paul wants to tell us. This is some big stuff. He says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Now what Paul is doing here, he's starting off, he's actually making a distinction between the law and something else, right? And the other thing that he's talking about is righteousness. So the way I'm kind of a very visual person, you see I talk with my hands a lot. I think the law is on one side, righteousness is on the other. And the way Paul starts off, the way he's talking, you get this idea that they're intimately connected, right? They're joined together somehow. One maybe even lead into the other, right? And he's saying, this is how we've always assumed it was. This is what we thought. This is what we believed. They go hand in hand. But now something has changed. Something has changed, and now the righteousness of God can be found outside of the law, right? You don't have to have complete the law first, right? And let's be honest, this is really, really big for a man like Paul to admit because he's also trained as a Pharisee. The law was everything for them. That's how they saw life, right? It was the only way to achieve righteousness, or at least that's what they thought. That's what they believed. But now this has changed, and he's saying you can achieve righteousness outside of the law. And what's interesting, he says the law, the prophets, they testify to this. And he's talking about what we call the Old Testament, right? And he's saying once you fully understand, once you come to understand this, you're going to see that it points to us. It points to and tells us that righteousness can be found outside the law. And where's he going with this? Where's he pointing us to? Jesus Christ. That's where he's heading. He's saying now it's been, it's been made known that we can achieve righteousness through Jesus Christ. And what he's doing, he's turning the majority of the, the Jewish understanding of the Old Testament, the law, upside down. He's saying now, now we understand this, right? And this was a really big deal at the time. This is a big deal for the Jewish people in the world. Everything they understood about the law of their world revolved around the law and justifying themselves, or at least trying to do that. That was the old way. Paul's saying now... It's about Jesus Christ. That's our path to righteousness. And he says, now that we know that, he's going to take over the next few verses, he's going to go into the ins and outs of it, how it applies, how it works. What does it actually mean? And one of the biggest things he wants to talk about first is he says, the question you can ask is, well, does this apply to everybody? Like literally everybody? And he's going to speak on this because back then, and we have a little bit of it now, people tend to put each other in groups. You ever seen that? Walls go up, there's us, there's them, all that kind of stuff, right? So let's, let's read what Paul says about that. Romans 3, verse 22. This righteousness, he says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to who? All who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, right? So first off, how is this given? How is righteousness given? How is it handed out? How is it accessed? He says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ, right? So it's not something that you can earn through the law. It's not something you can get through a denomination, through a cultural heritage or background. You have access to this faith through one man, Jesus Christ, right? Now, there's also some, a distinction we need to make because some people, and this isn't, you can kind of understand this when we talk about it, some people might still think, well, we're going to earn it through our faith in Jesus Christ, right? 
But again, that's not true. We don't earn, we don't deserve anything. All this is, is this is a free gift from God, right? What our faith in Jesus Christ does, what it does, when we come to believe in Jesus Christ, he washes away our sins. He makes us clean in God's eyes. Remember, Paul here, he's talking about a concept called righteousness. And righteousness, in the biblical sense, means to be morally correct, without blame, without any wrongdoing. You have no faults. Does that apply to everybody here? (laughs) My wife's not here tonight, but she would definitely have something to say on that, right? It means no one can accuse you of sin. Of course, that that we know that doesn't apply, right? All people fall short in that category. But he's saying when we believe in Jesus Christ, all that stuff, all those transgressions, all those issues get removed, right? And in that removal through Jesus Christ, then we become righteous in God's eyes. So the reason we get so specific about that, the reason Paul does, is we want to make sure that people understand that we don't actually earn anything. Our faith doesn't earn that. Right? And we need to be honest about that. We need to make that distinction because some people can still use that to boast, raise themselves up. It's human nature. And we know this is true as well because Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, tells us something very specific. This is, but it's very good. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, For it's by grace, which is God's free gift, that you have been saved through faith. And this is what? Not from yourselves. All right? It's a free gift of God, not by works. Why? So no one can boast about it. So no one can brag about it, right? So why is God's grace, why is it free? It's simply free because he loves us. He wants to save us. He gave it to us, right? The other reason it's free, it tells us, is so that we can't boast about it. That's why Paul's so clear on it. That's why he knows the truth. Now, to briefly go back to verse 22 that we read a minute ago from Romans 3. He says, there's no difference. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, when you read that today, that may seem like a strange thing to make such a big distinction about, right? But back then, this was was huge. This was a big deal. Remember, it was not widely known back then that it was only through faith you were saved. It was still very common. It was a common belief that you were saved through the law. Remember, they made a huge distinction about who was circumcised and who was not. They even called it. So like, you're the Jews, they even called you, you're the circumcised. You're the Gentiles. You know what they called you? The uncircumcised. Talk about labeling groups. But that's what they did, right? That's how it was. And there was a belief. You had to follow the Jewish laws. You had to eat the kosher foods, celebrate the same holidays. And who were the people that didn't do that? The Gentiles, the uncircumcised. So there's a big distinction, right? So it was very common for people to have that belief. Right? That even if you did all that that you were supposed to, you were somehow a little more special. You were maybe receiving God's favor more. Maybe get a little more of the salvation, right? At least definitely more than other people. But Paul's saying very clearly, that is not true. That is not true. This is for everybody. Because of Jesus Christ, anyone and everyone who has faith will be saved. Right? Now all people can be washed clean, made righteous, made new outside of the law. Right? And again, this is a big controversial idea at the time, but it's very important. It's important back then to know, and it's important today that we know that we understand that it's only through faith that we are saved. Right? And the reason this is so important, because we need to understand our own sin. If we had the ability to remove our own sin, like to do our own stuff, like I call church push-ups, our own kind of stuff, and work our way out of it, we wouldn't need Jesus, would we? We could just do it on our own. 
If we had the ability through works, through sacrifice, through prayer, through writing big checks to the church, you know, we could fix our own sinful nature, earn your way into heaven, then everything Jesus did would be what? Unnecessary. It wouldn't, would be a waste. It'd be useless. And we know that's not true. One of the reasons we know it's not true, because what verses 23 and 24 tell us, this is some great stuff from Romans 3, 23 and 24. Paul says, because all have sinned, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So first off, big question, who has sinned? Everybody. Everyone. So this isn't a problem for one nation, circumcised or uncircumcised, one denomination, one group of people. Everybody. Everybody. And all that sin prevents everybody from meeting God's high standard, from being righteous in his eyes. And just to be clear, we need to understand what sin is. Sin is not just one thing. It's not one thing we do. It's all kinds of stuff we do. By being unforgiving, coveting, not showing kindness. But it's bigger than that. There's so many ways we fall short of God's standards. We could have idols. We could love money. Putting up walls, showing favoritism. It can, it can be by not worshiping, by not praising God, by not stepping out. By holding on to what we have, our blessings. By not conforming to Jesus' image. The point being, there's so many ways we fall short. And it's not just a simple thing that we've done. We fall short all the way around. I do that. You do that. Your parents, your neighbors, your grandparents, your kids. All of humanity. And because sin is so uh, pervasive, it's so all-encompassing, that's why we really need to understand our guilt and how we have that removed. Because we can't fix our own situation. But this is cool. This is where we get to the cool part. When we get to that spot, when we really start to get it, that we are guilty, that we need help, that we can't do it ourselves, that's when the good stuff starts to happen through Jesus Christ. What's that stuff? Let's read verse 24. It says, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We're justified freely. Now we need to pause on this word justified and learn what it means because it really impacts us in a big way. And it's just just a great thing that we get through Jesus Christ. Being justified through Jesus, it actually means three things. Number one, being justified means we fix the problem of us of our, us having guilt under the law, right? We're totally guilty, right? All the ways that we sin, right? There's a lot of different ways. Being justified f- fixes that, fixes us being standing before God and being guilty, right? No way to fix our sin. The next thing, number two that, that it does, is it fixes our problem of being a slave to sin, our sinful nature, because it's what we do. It's not just a one-time thing. It's what it's what we do throughout our lives, right? We know what sin is. But does anybody still sin? We still have that problem. We do, right? Being a slave to sin means you know about sin, but you continue in that. It's the idea of permanently residing in that area. But being justified by Jesus Christ, when we turn over a new leaf, means all that is removed. Now, the third thing, being justified, means it involves us pleasing God. Due to our sinful nature, we can't please God. There's no way to do that. It's not going to happen. But being justified 
believing in Jesus Christ, following in his footsteps, turning on over new life, new life, means now we can begin to please God. Right? Because your sins, your offenses, your sinful nature, all that's been fixed, now you can stand before God and not be condemned. And that is through Jesus Christ. Right? That's how we start to become righteous. Right? So there's a huge difference, and we need to understand the big picture. So when we fully start to get that, then we really understand how blessed we are, how much God really loves us, that great gift of grace that he gives us. Now what's really cool is in the next two verses, verses 25 and 26, Paul's going to go into a little more detail about how we're justified and what Jesus did. Like we, like he's going to go farther than just the nuts and bolts of it. Let's read with, start with verse 25, Romans 3, 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because of in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So first off, this verse tells us that all of humanity's sins needs to be atoned for. And this, is just doesn't, this isn't like just saying, hey, listen, I'm sorry. My bad, right? We messed up, and then we can move on with our day. No, the, the word atonement is a huge word. It's an enormous word here. And when the word atonement, like kind of the quickest way to describe it, it means we have to pick up the tab for what we did. We have to take responsibility. We have to actively fix it, right? You go all the way through, right? You fix what you broke. Another definition can mean you physically remove the obstacles that you put in your path to get to God, right? So it's anything but just words. It's the hard, tangible work where you get your hands dirty to fix what we broke, right? You know the signs in some of those stores? Like when my kids were little, you see the, you go into like a store with all kinds of nice glass. My kids are little, I'm about ready to have a heart attack and we got to get out of here. It says, you, you, you broke it, you, you bought it, you broke it. Right? That kind of thing. And that's what this is about. It's along the same lines. You broke the law, you're going to pay the price, you're going to fix it. So verse 35 tells us God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. It means Jesus was sent to pick up the tab for us. To pay for all that damage that we did. And he was going to do that. He was going to pay that price by sacrificing his own blood. And there is no more serious, no more personable, no more heavy way to pay for the sins of others than by giving your own blood, giving your own life. And yet that's what he did. That's what God required. The cost of sin, the seriousness of the damage they do, demanded a price that high. But with all that heaviness, that dead seriously, uh, the, the, the effect of sin, ironically, this is what's so mind-blowing, God is our loving Father. He offers us this, this, this crazy free gift, this get-out-of-jail-free card, in a sense, right? Verse 25 tells us, God presented Christ as a sacrifice atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? Faith. Faith. That's it. That's what we have to do. And let's be honest, that seems crazy easy for us, Right? But that's all we have to do to receive this free gift, this free gift from God. But again, while that seems very easy for us compared to what Jesus went through, the purpose, why God did this, why he was so generous is everything. You see, when we sin, we live our life of sin, what we're doing is we choose to go off on our own. We choose, we demonstrate to God that we choose our own life, our own ways, our own ideas, and we believe we're more correct than what God is. That's what we show him. 
We show him that we choose a sinful life instead of a relationship with him. We say that out loud by our actions, the way we continue to walk that path of sin. It takes us away from God. Remember, this is not a one-time thing. It's a, it's a way of life that you live apart from God. It's a continual choice. So when God offers Jesus as a sacrifice for us, for all our sins, and all we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, that's amazing. That's huge. And here's what's cool. When God does this, he shows us two things. Two things, and these are very important. Number one, God shows us how much he loves us, how much he wants to save us to give us a chance, right? Why else would he offer his son to pay that price for us? That's what we need to know. The other thing we need to understand is when God gives us all that and all he asks for in return is faith, he's giving us the opportunity to choose him. In our sinful ways, we always choose our own path, whatever we want to do. It's always about me, right? Now he's saying you can choose me through Jesus Christ to choose for ourselves. Just like you can choose a life apart from him, you can choose him. You can choose Jesus and come back into a right relationship with him. Now, what's key here is none of this is forced. You don't have to do anything. You get to make your own decision. You get to make your own decision every day of your life, don't you? Each one of us makes our own choice. And this is a very, very cool concept. Um, I've talked to a number of people from different faiths. And this is what it comes down to. This is, this is some of the questions I get. Uh, and this is also, to understand this also helps us understand in a way why evil exists in the world, right? And again, if you ever speak to enough people about their faith or from other faiths and they contemplate evil, why it exists in the world, you'll eventually come to this question, why does God allow evil? If God is real, why is there murder, rape, violence, whatever, you name it, why is that allowable? How is that even an option? See, that's actually a good question. That's a really good question. And we should take that kind of stuff to God. And to answer that question, you have to understand free will. Choice. Just like we have a choice in choosing to have a relationship with God, or we can choose to do whatever we want. Whatever we can get away with is probably a better way to put it, right? If God created a world where you had no choice but to do good. No, I mean, that was it. That's you, you were forced to do that. Or if you were, lived in a world where you were forced to do evil, there would be no choice. There'd be no relationship with God. We would be robots. But if you had a choice to follow him when you didn't have to, you, you could search for him. You could turn away from him. Basically, do whatever you want over the course of your life. Your actions will show 100% if you're actually searching for God. Would they not? Absolutely, they would. Another, this is how I really get down to it when I talk to someone from another faith. And they really want to know about this. Think about your own marriage. And if your spouse is here with you tonight, take a quick look at your spouse. It's not going to get weird. Just go with me. Or think of your spouse if they're not. If your spouse was forced to marry you, forced to, would you ever truly know deep down if they loved you? I don't care what they did. If they were forced to, and they were continually forced to, 
Could you ever know that they loved you and wanted to be with you? No. You never would. doesn't matter what they said, what they did. Could you ever trust that anything they did for you was out of love? If we're honest, no. There'd always be that doubt. The only way to know if your spouse truly loves you and wants to be with you is if they have the free choice to not be with you. It's not coerced. There's no penalty. They choose you, and they continually choose you throughout their life. The same is true with faith. That's the key. The reason why God chose faith as the means to salvation through Jesus Christ is that it's unforced, it's uncoursed. You get to 100% make your own decision. And you get to make your decision every day of your life. We either choose a life apart from God or we choose to repent and follow God and search for him and keep searching and, and trying to grow in our faith and demonstrate to him that we choose him. And let's be honest, there is no middle ground between these two. There is not. Those two are very different things. They could be more polar opposite. No one can come up to me and be like, well, but they're so close. I mean, really. How do you know? And this is where we kind of need to start bringing works back into it. Our decision will be obvious by our works, what we do. Our decision for or against Jesus Christ will be obvious by how we live our life over time. That's why Jesus said, come and follow me. Go back and look. He didn't say for like 30 minutes-ish. You know, give it a couple days. He said what? Just come with me. Just come with me. It's a direct command with no end date. And that's why faith matters again. God gave us a choice. We get to show him what we choose. So let's jump into verse 27 and 28. Because Paul's going to address this concept of boasting and how that conflicts with being justified by God. Romans 3, 27 and 28. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We're going to talk about works more in a second. Now, Paul, he's, going to making, he's, making, he's offering up an interesting question here. And it may seem a little strange if you have never personally experienced that yourself. And sometimes when we, sometimes when we receive something completely free, we don't do any real work behind it, we can sometimes become a little conceited, not appreciate it, maybe even get a little boastful, boastful about it. Right? So when, Paul asks, when he asks the question, he says, where is boasting then? He immediately answers it. It's excluded. It's excluded because boasting is completely at odds with the concept of free grace. If, if, if you have truly admitted your sin, and you know you can't save yourself, if you've truly admitted your sin, you've repented and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation, there is literally zero you can boast about. You know why? Because you can't fix yourself. You didn't fix yourself. The only thing you can boast about is the amount of sin you've done, what you're responsible for. That's the only thing you can claim. But here's the big but, right? But if you didn't really repent, if you didn't really put in the work, if you didn't really own up for all your sin, 
and you see the laws as a checkoff sheet, and you give yourself a passing grade. Maybe you got something to boast about. You know what I mean? You see where he's going with this? See, Paul has experienced this. He was drenched. He was deep in this world of works and the law and all these groups and stuff like that. And that's why he keeps bringing this up. All right, so Paul's point is the same. He states very clearly, verse 28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith, what? Apart from the works of the law. The law doesn't save. It only condemns you. It only shows you your sin. What justifies us and makes us right in God's eyes is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we do want to pause for a moment, and we want to talk a smidge about faith and works, because it's important to know that they are connected. Even though works don't save us, they're important. And to address this, really, we need to flip over to James chapter 2, because he really does a fabulous job of talking about this. James chapter 2, 17 to 18. James 2. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not by comp- accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. But he says, but someone will say, because James has heard this, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And he says, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So again, this comes from James, and you know he's had a debate with somebody about this. This is not the first time he's heard this. It also shows there can be some confusion about faith and works. So when he says faith by itself, it's not accompanied by action, is dead. What he means is that it's not possible to fully repent of your sin and claim to follow Jesus, but not look any different than anybody else. To know Jesus, to be saved by him, drives you to live differently. In some way, somehow, you will show more kindness, more charity, you'll be more loving, more forgiving, more patient. You will become more like Jesus Christ. Even if it's like this, right? You're still on that path. For example, this is hopefully a really good example. Imagine you guys are two separate towns. This is town A, this is town B, right? And the dividing line is right here. Imagine town A, the entire population you guys have all given your lives over to Jesus Christ. You've repented, you're saved, you're like, you know, totally in on it, right? You're totally bought in. This side, you guys haven't. Just go with me. I know you're you're cool. (laughs) This doesn't stick. We're not recording it. I mean a little. You don't believe in Jesus. You don't know him. You don't know anything about him. You haven't turned your life over to him. Just, you know, it's all about you and you got your thing, right? We have those two towns. If we compare those two towns side by side, they have the exact same crime rate, the exact same divorce rates, adultery, pornography, drug and alcohol, give it the exact same amounts of charity, have you guys really, do you really, really believe? And that's what he's saying. At some point, if you are saved, you will be different. It will be obvious by your deeds. Your deeds come out of your faith. Good works come from our faith will be visible. That's why he says, I will show you my, I'll show you that I'm totally in by how I now live my life, following Jesus Christ. And that will be visible in some way. If, it's, if there's no difference, then there's no difference. And this is, this is, this is a really good lesson for all of Christianity, not even just back then. 
people should see you and get a glimpse of Jesus Christ in some way. They should see that. And if that's not the case, then we need to fix it. Now, as we continue on into Rome, going further in Romans chapter 3, we're going to see Paul again talk about Jews and Gentiles. And the reason he does this is old habits die hard. Many people for a very long time believed you had to be Jewish. You had to follow the law to justify yourself. That's what it was about. So that's why Paul's going to keep making this case. Let's read uh, verses 29 and 30. Romans 3, 29 and 30. He says, or, 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 or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through what? The same faith. So now he, I want to step back here because we've got to give Paul a lot of credit. He's willing to entertain the big tough questions of the day. Because God is real, he is the one true God. He can tackle all these questions, all these issues that come up. Even the questions that address the very nature of who belongs to God. Is there anybody a little better? Who, right? So he, he's asking the questions he's no doubt been asked. He's, he's asking questions because he's seen people ask a certain way. Isn't God the God of the Jews? I mean... No, it's the Gentiles, man. It's the, you see Jesus hanging out with the Gentiles. It's them. And people would debate this. How do you know? Paul says, no, he doesn't show favoritism. God is the God of both Jews and Gentiles. He makes no distinction when it comes to sin. Because all have sinned and fallen short, right? Everybody. And, and in a way, this is going to sound funny. Here's what's cool about the concept that all have sinned. Because all have sinned, because all are guilty, this, there will be one faith that saves all of them. Right? That's what he's talking about. One faith in the one true Savior justifies everybody equally. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Now, Paul's also going to anticipate a question that's about to come up. Because again, he's done this before, and that's verse 31. You know someone's going to ask this. This is what he says, Romans 3, 31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Like, can we just get rid of it now that we all believe? He says, no, not at all. We uphold the law. Now, again, this is a very good question. And just because somebody asks it doesn't mean it came from someone with bad intentions. Right? For example, it's not bad if you really start to think about it. If faith is what matters, what do we do with the law? Like, how much of it applies? A little bit? All of it? 70%. That's like a C, right? We just hit that. Now, here's another question. And please be honest. Is anyone here willing to admit, admit that you, have, you yourself have worried at some point about the law, the Old Testament law, and how much of it you need to keep? Like, you ever wondered, would it help if I was a little Jewish? I mean, am I the only one? What if I kept the holidays? What if I just ate the foods? Right? See, those are actually not bad questions, and they can come from just wanting to try to do the right thing. Like, do an even better job. Like, okay, I got a B, I want a B plus. Right? You can, you can ask those questions and come from a good spot. It's never a bad thing to try to want to do a better job. But here's the real question. 
This is how we're going to answer this. This is the question we're going to ask, guys. Did God tell us what he wants us to do in that situation? Did Jesus ever address that, right? Did they ever get asked that question? Now, see, as a pastor, I love these types of questions. Those are good questions. I've had those questions. And this part, if you, if you want, you can quote me on this. If you claim that you are Christian and you read and study the Bible, but you never ask any questions or like big questions, you aren't reading and studying the Bible. You're not. And here's why. The newest parts of the Bible, the newest stuff is 2,000 years old. Two, and it wasn't written here in Florida. Where? Other side of the earth. The people who wrote it did not speak English. I know that's a shock to some people, some of my friends back in Illinois. But. And here's what you got to remember. When they wrote the Bible, all of it, everything they wrote down, their own experiences, their feelings, their slang terms, even the background stuff for the stories they told, people understood it then. We can't necessarily relate to it now. You can't. So it would be very weird. It would be very unexpected if you read all that stuff. Like, oh, I get that. What? I don't know any shepherds. And I have animals at home. So it's a good question to ask. What about the law? Like, what about it? What applies? How much do we need to do? But thankfully, Jesus addressed this subject. And he made some very clear statements. And I wish I could have been there for this one. This was awesome. It's from Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Someone asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Like, which one? If I nail it, am I good? Right? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest. And the second one is a lot like it. He said, Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40 is the, the, the kicker, the awesome one. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he's talking about the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, all that stuff, right? Now to get this right, we, let's, let's look at what he said. Number one, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now in layman terms, that just means love God with everything you are. Everything. Your heart, your soul, everything. Love him for the world he created. Love him for what he does for us. Sometimes what he doesn't do for, like when he doesn't answer our prayers, sometimes that's way better. Love him for the relationship he wants to have with us. How he wants us to love each other. Just fall in love with God. That's number one. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, being a human being, right, this one's a little more interesting. Interesting, a little more difficult sometimes. Because what it's doing is directing everything away from us onto other people. And the way Jesus used the words neighbor is not the dude who lives next door to me that I've you know have gone golfing with. Jesus means everybody. Everybody. We're not called to be nice or kind. I mean, that's awesome. Do that. We're called to love other people just like we love and protect our own. And that's not, that's not exclusive or doesn't mean people that look just like me or you, citizens of the United States, people of German, heritage, whatever, political parties. We're to treat everybody, and I mean everybody, with the same amount of love and respect and protection that we do for ourselves, we're supposed to do for them. 
That's a big one. That's a big one. So when they ask Jesus about the law, he says, love God and love others. Love others the way he loves them. He says, in all the law, everything you're worried about trying to get right, the law, which one's what? All of that. You do, you love God, love others, you got everything taken care of. And that's a beautiful answer. So we shouldn't worry about the specifics of the law so much, but ask ourselves, are we loving God and do we love others the way Jesus intended us to, the way he wanted us to? If we're doing that, then Jesus says, we're covering the intent of the law. Now, to go even a little further, what's cool is when you study the, the, the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you really look at everything Jesus said he did, his life, his teachings, everything he did falls right in line with that. That's a really good example to follow. You're not sure what to do in a situation? What did he do? And do that. That's what matters. So as we finish, this is what Paul wants us to know. This is what this is why he wrote the book of Romans. Jesus Christ came into this world to save us because we are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus came to wash away our sins, make us new. And through that process, we become righteous. We become holy in God's eyes. But we can only do that if we first turn to Jesus Christ for help. If we repent of our sins. We believe in him. So like we always do in this church, it's a very big thing for us, Jesus Christ. We want everyone here to have the chance to be saved, to know Jesus Christ. And if you've gotten off path a little bit, which happens, we want to help you get back on the right path. We're all human, but we're one big family, and we work together. Amen? So in a minute, we're going to pray. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. All you have to do is say the words that I say right there in your seat. What you say is between you and God. And if you've gotten off track a little bit, if you want to recommit your life, get focused again, we're going to pray for that as well, okay? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today, I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I asked him to forgive me. I ask him to save me and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, we as a church, as individuals, pray for strength to endure all that life throws at us. May everything that we go through, both good and bad, may it strengthen our faith in you. May it strengthen our resolve and may we always lean on you. Father, today, we also we recommit ourselves to you. We choose you. Many times in our life we get pulled away, we fall out of sync with you, but today it's our choice to recommit to you. Father, we also pray for all people, all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you because it's only through your, you and the saving grace of your Son that we have hope, that we're saved, and that we are made righteous. Father, lastly, lastly we pray that as our faith grows, that you will use each one of us as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom, to reach people that don't know you. May other people see your son Jesus through us. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for the church. 
Most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's his, in his name we ask all these things. Amen.